How's everybody doing this fine morning? It is Friday already, and I need to turn off the music. There we go. Um, Hard to believe, Friday all morning, but here we are, and uh, we're going to jump right into this chapter, chapter four of 1 Corinthians. Uh, This is is a little bit more, uh, I think, anyway, as a teacher, in some ways a little bit uh, more challenging of a chapter to um, to teach through, but we're going to give it our best shot this morning to try to uh, explain our way through it and help us uh, uh, leave uh, perhaps being uh, edified, fortified, challenged, encouraged uh, in our lives. So we're going to jump right in 1 Corinthians 4. Here we are. It says, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, I mean, this 
This is Paul speaking about how people should regard the servants of Christ, how people should regard the preacher, how people should regard those who teach biblical truth, uh, that they should be regarded as those entrusted with the secret things of God, to think of the sacred things that I get to handle uh, nigh every day, almost every day, um, the things of God, the eternal truths, the greatness of God, the, the mystery of Christ, uh, the, the wonderful nature and character of God, all of these things, all that God has done for us. You know, I get to speak about these things almost every single day. And uh, uh, what what an honor for me to be in that place. And yet, as we're going to see as we get into this chapter, there are people who didn't have high regard for the preacher. And what I really want to talk about is that you will experience and I will experience people who do not have high regard for us as Christians. They'll think we're foolish. We'll think we're ninnies. They'll think that we're silly. They'll think that we're uneducated. They'll think that we're unintelligent. They'll think all these different things of us. And so Paul is is coming out of the gate here in the beginning of this chapter and saying, you should regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. But see, not only are the apostles in that place, not only the preachers and pastors in that place, but there's a certain measure to which all of us as Christians, all of us who know Christ, have been is been revealed to us the secret things of God. It's been revealed to us the mystery that is found in Christ. And so we have this wonderful truth that we hold on to. And again, we'll work our way down through the passage and we'll understand how some people didn't have that much of a high regard. Now he says in verse two, he says this, that those it's required that those who've been given a trust must be proven faithful. I've been given a trust. I've been given a trust to communicate the gospel. I've been given a trust to help, uh, expand the, the the work of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, and I have to be proven faithful, faithful to teaching, faithful to walking with Jesus, faithful to try and help other people walk with Jesus. And so for you uh, to uh, think about people, to hold your own pastor in regard, uh, whatever his name may be, because I don't remember the names of all everybody's pastor, uh, I don't remember the name of the, the pastor. Is it Bo? Uh, at Calvary Church, Lancaster. I don't remember the name of the new pastor down at, is it Dave? Down in uh, Reedville, I don't remember. Uh, uh, pastor Jacob. Uh, but to understand, they must prove faithful. And sometimes there are people who want to handle the word of God or who want to be preachers, but they're not faithful to scripture. And you always want to look for somebody that's being faithful to the scriptures, coming back and trying to work through what it says that isn't skipping over verses, that isn't skipping over chapters, that isn't always running back to the same old theme in every single chapter, in every single section. You know, if they're always going back to the word of faith, if they're always going back to talking about sowing seeds, if they're always going back to things like that then, you know, you have to say, but is that in the text? Is that in the text? Because that isn't always found in the text. And I've heard preachers that always are coming back to those things. And it's like, but it's not in the text. 
What's the text say? So look for people who are faithful in the text, but not only faithful in the text, because there are people who can be faithful in text, but also people who will be faithful to challenging you with how to live it out, how to apply it in your life. If they're not doing that, if it's not applicational, if they're not saying, here's the action you need to take, then it's it's only knowledge. Knowledge must be applied. That is wisdom. When knowledge becomes applied, that's when it becomes wisdom. And so uh, you have people, pastors, who've been given a trust. They must prove faithful. I must prove faithful. Jacob must prove faithful. Bo Eckert must prove faithful and how we handle the things of God. Now, Paul goes on and says, I, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, now what he, what he's saying by saying this is, you know, and, and there are some of us that get all wrapped up in what do people think of us? We're all very concerned, you know, and, and so we, we can be chameleon and, and we, uh, we change up depending on on the crowd that we're around. Now, to a certain measure, there, there is a a reasonableness of that. If I'm going to go spend time with farmers, I'm going to dress like the farmer and, and and you know talk about the things that are important to farmers. But if I'm going to go be, meet a businessman like I'm doing today, I'm going to dress like a businessman, probably office casual, and talk like a businessman. Uh, so, it, to a certain measure, yes, we we are chameleon, but. But some of us get so wrapped up with what do people think about us? And Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged if I'm judged by you or by a human court. I mean, you could say, what are the laws? What are the rules? What what if the court he's saying it doesn't matter this? He says, I don't even judge myself. Now what he what he means by saying I don't judge myself is ultimately, and he will get to it in verse four. Says my conscience is clear, but the, that that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So he says, I don't even judge myself. E- even our own judgment of ourselves uh, can be misguided. Uh, we can think of ourselves more highly than we should, or we can think of ourselves more lowly than we should. And I think there are a fair number of us that seem to have a decent handle on our lives, but there are some people who just think that they're not worth anything, not worthy. And then there are other people who think that uh, those around them should uh, just kowtow to everything they have to say. Um, but ultimately, the reality is the Lord will be the one who judges our motives. He will be the one who judges our actions. He will be the one that judges our thoughts. He will be the one that judges our words. And so when Paul says he doesn't judge himself, what he's, he's not saying, I don't think about what I should do. I don't think about, you know, my responsibilities. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I don't, you know, I, I'm not concerned about how I live my life. He's not saying that. What he's saying is he knows that his own judgment of himself can be erroneous. And so ultimately, he is looking to the Lord uh, for the Lord's judgment because it's the Lord's judgment that that is true and is accurate and is fair and is honest. And, and that is what he's saying. And for us to go, you know, what? I know my own heart. I know my own heart has uh, evil motives at times. I know my own heart has ill will at times. I know my own heart uh, is more concerned about me than the things of Christ far too often. I know that my own heart. So uh, this is where Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah, let me take us back there just to look at a verse, actually two verses. And 
And here it is, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserved. Just the idea that the heart is deceitful. I mean, we, we, we can even deceive ourselves, can we not? We can even lie to ourselves about we, we think we're far better than we are. Or we think we're far worse than we are. The heart can be so very deceitful uh, in so very many different kinds of ways. Now, back to, and so that's where Paul says, uh, I, uh, I'm leaving it for the judgment of God because the, God will judge rightly. But then he says this in verse 5. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. It's thinking about being a Christian, receiving your praise from God. But to judge nothing before it's appointed time. Sometimes we, we want to look at other people. We want to cast judgment on other people. We'll look at other people and think, well, they're yada, 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 or, you know, they're, we cast judgment all the time. Uh, and to a certain measure, and there are those who say, well, the Bible says don't judge. Well, yes and no. The Bible says don't go around judgmentally. Uh, but it does say, and we're going to read in the next chapter, whenever we get to chapter five, that Paul will actually say, yes, we are supposed to judge, and he'll give the parameters in which we are supposed to judge. There is an aspect in which we are to render a judgment. However, what happens is there are far too many people going around judgmentally. Sometimes that is Christians who are bent on self-righteousness, and they don't see, they don't smell how badly they stink um, in that self-righteous state in which they find themselves so don't judge. He said, be careful not to judge. And this this would go along with what Jesus had to say about when he said, don't judge. Because we can be judgmental all the time, looking at this person, that person, the next person, and, and forming opinions and judgments about them. And Paul says, don't judge. Wait, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden. There might be hidden things. You know, so for those uh, who uh, we think... Uh, we're going to get away with it. No, the, the hidden thing will be exposed. Uh, and and the, the motives of men's heart will be exposed. And he says at that time, we'll each receive his praise from God. I find it interesting. That he uses the word praise from God and doesn't use the word. Ju- you know, we'll receive his just judgment. Thinking believers going back to chapter three, it talked about those that are believers and what they build with wood, hay, stubble, Precious stones, gold, silver, you know, each man's work will be tested for what it is, and each will receive his reward from God, and some will make it as just as escaping through the flames. We looked at that yesterday in First Corinthians chapter 3. So this is the idea of believers getting our praise from God. Some are going to get a lot of praise. Some aren't going to get much praise at all. Some are going to think, hey, I'm entitled to all this praise because I was faithful going to church, but yet they did nothing for the Lord. So there ain't going to be much praise for those people. Yet those who, who quietly go around serving other people, helping other people, doing good things for other people, uh, being benevolent toward other people, being altruistic, 
uh, in the name of Christ, uh, all of a sudden we're going to, we're going to see the, the type of rewards that those people are going to get. You're going to say, yeah, but they weren't out front. They weren't the preacher. They weren't the, no, but they were living the life of Christ and demonstrating Christ to other people. Now let's keep going. Verse six. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man uh, over against another. And, and sometimes what we do is, is God has a standard. God has stated the standard, and yet we want to heap a bunch of things on top of that. Or we want to dismiss a bunch of things away from that. So what we need to do is, is to come back. Uh, and, and not go beyond what is written. Uh, in this case, it's like adding a bunch of extra things on top. It says, then you will not take pride in one man over against another. All of us are what we are by the grace of God. All of us are what we are by the mercy of God. None of us deserve all that we have gotten from Christ, not one of us. Um, and so we can't take pride in our spirituality. We can't take pride in our Christianity because it's all the work of Christ. And that's why he says, uh, then you will not take pride in one man over against another. And he goes on, verse 7, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you do not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What, like, like it's something that you did for yourself. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have become kings and that without us. And how I wish you really had become kings so that we could become kings with you. Now, Paul in verse 8 here is really getting into, he's being somewhat uh, diminutive. He is being... Uh, somewhat sarcastic in what he is saying. You already have all that you want. You've already become rich. You've already become kings and that without without us. In other words, they're thinking that they're rich. They're thinking that they're kings and royal. Uh, and then he in verse 9, he's going to give this contrast between them and how they perceive themselves and what the apostles themselves were actually experiencing. And friends, sometimes the reality of the matter is that we may suffer for following after Christ. There may be seemingly horrible ramifications of following Christ. And so he says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. The spiritual realm was looking at them. The earthly realm was looking at them. The wicked angels, the holy angels, all are looking at them. And it says they've been made a spectacle. And sometimes for us, we are made a spectacle. Everybody looks at us. Everybody points at us. Everybody says about us that you're foolish. We had this in our uh, real life discipleship group last night, this conversation about how people will look at us and think we're just foolish. And how do we give a good argument about the speed of light and the creation of the world and all these different things? Sometimes we don't and say, you know, and you think you're giving a good answer, but is your answer really valid either to the, to the opposition who is opposing us? Uh, we might be made a spectacle of the world. Don't be surprised by that. 
uh, the angels, the wicked angels might look at us and go, you foolish Christians. Um, the, the holy angels look at us, and as we're walking with Christ, they, I think there's a sense that they could say, wow, we wish we had what they have, because we've been given so much more in Christ than even the angels have, and yet we espouse the angels as greater than ourselves, but yet we have been lifted up above the angels by the work of Christ in our life. Continue on here. It says we are fools for Christ, but you, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You were honored, but we are dishonored. And it says to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's saying, beware of your pride. Look at what the disciples have had to go through. And so, so don't allow yourselves to be spiritually proud. It is all the work of Christ. It is all what Christ has done for you. And sometimes when you take a stand for Christ, you are going to be placed in a difficult place. Uh, a place of hunger, a place of thirst, a place of rags, a, a place of being brutally treated, a place of being homeless. And, and so there are those in, in different places in our world that go around and find themselves in that circumstance. And he says in verses 12 and 13, what they continue to do, their, their focus continues to be, they continue to work hard with their hands. If they get cursed, they end up blessing if they're persecuted, they endure it. When they're slandered, they answer kindly. And what, what is us in the flesh? Most often, our answer for slandered, we're going to get them right back. We're looking for the chance to get even. That ought not be so in Christian practice. That ought not be so in Christian life. That should not be our mentality because that is not to what we are, to that to which we are called. Um, he said in 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, he's alluding to the angels, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I mean, the idea of having spiritual children, I, I might camp on this theme for just a moment, this idea of having spiritual children. Yes, we, we can get all excited about all the angels that, that are around us. But the fact of the matter is we should think about those who invested in our lives spiritually. We should think about those who are spiritual fathers. And, and for me, that his name is George. Now, I would call Mark my brother, George's son, who's my best friend in high school, uh, who really was instrumental in me coming to faith in Christ. But it was George who was really that, that father figure who really invested in me. Uh, spiritually, almost daily for almost three years. And, uh, uh, you know, to regard him, we might regard the angels, but I should regard George. And for you, uh, you would regard your pastor, perhaps, who, who might be a father or the person that led you to Christ. And so he, he's thinking about spiritual children. Let me ask you a question. Do you have, do you have spiritual children? Uh, I, I talked about this in church in our church service uh, a while back, and four or five generations deep, that takes 
you know, 50, 60, 70 years to get that many generations deep. But we can be four or five generations deep spiritually within just a few years. We lead someone to Christ and help them begin to grow in Christ. That's called disciple making. They lead someone to Christ and help them uh, uh, grow in Christ and lead someone else to Christ. That's called disciple making. They lead somebody else to Christ and help them grow in Christ and help them lead somebody else to Christ. That is called what? Disciple making down to the third, fourth, fifth generation. And in that sense, to ask ourselves, who are our spiritual children? You know, could could most of us as Christians point to at least one person in our life that we've influenced to trust Christ? I hope that you can say yes. When I say trust Christ, I mean a person who wasn't saved that becomes saved, a person that was not regenerate that becomes regenerate. Now, that is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in a person's life. That isn't the work that we do, but it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. But we're the mouthpiece. We're the vessel. We're we're the ones that God uses to see people come to faith in Christ. Friends, we asked the question in our real-life uh, real discipleship group last night, why isn't the church growing? Because we're not sharing our faith. Uh, that That's part of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting for Pastor Jacob to go and talk to everybody about Jesus. And, and we need to be sharing our faith ourselves. And, and we need to be thinking about how we can have spiritual children. He is not going to judge our church attendance. He's not going to judge, uh, you know, what, what area of service you had in the local church, although he wants us to do those things. The thing that he told us, the Great Commission, is as you're going, make disciples. That's what he's looking at. He's going to look at, are we making disciples? We can do all kinds of organizational things. We can do all kinds of of service things. But if ultimately we're not, it it isn't resulting in the making of disciples, we are missing. uh, We are missing the point of making disciples. Yeah, and, and Bing, Bing has a point here that he's making. I would like to think that our children uh, are are spiritual as well. And, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, be, faith, be fruitful and multiply, uh, God told uh, Adam and Eve way back in the garden, and I do think our own children are a part of that. We all want our children to be a part of that. We all want our children to to be people who uh, are walking with Christ. But just because there are children doesn't mean they're walking with Christ. I mean, I've got children that aren't walking with Christ, uh, and I wish that they were, but they're not, not like they ought to be. Uh, some are, one is on, on uh, just kind of marginal. Uh, another one is like, I, I'm not even sure that's what I really want to do in my life. And, and so we pray for them that they would walk with Christ and would want the things of Christ um, but yet there are other spiritual children uh, that, that we influence for Christ. And, and being, I, I, I am absolutely convinced you and Miriam point lots of people to Christ in your lives. Uh, I, I see it. I, I see what you see in Facebook. I've seen your prayers. I've read your prayers. I've been blessed by your prayers um, for lots of other people. And uh, you, you, my friend, yes, our own spiritual children uh, our, our own physical children, hopefully becoming spiritual children, but then also others that we would lead to Christ. Let me finish up these last few verses here uh, in this passage, and we will conclude this fourth chapter. Uh, verse 16, he says, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love. He's a spiritual son 
who is faithful in the Lord, so is also faithful, who reminds you of my way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere. In other words, he says, I walk the talk, and we have to make sure that we're walking the talk. And that's one of the reasons why some people today say, I am not a Christian, because Christians don't walk the talk. They're they're hypocrites, they're hypocrites. And sometimes that is true, but hypocrisy is not just a Christian thing, it's a human thing. You've heard me say that before. It says, but I will come to you very soon. Uh, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Are they a bunch of talk? Are they all smoke? Is there substance to their life? He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? Now, this will lead us into chapter 5 that we'll get into next week, why he's talking about a whip or love and gentle spirit. Uh, there, there's a reason. They, there, there were practices. There were things that were happening in Corinth that ought not to have been happening. And that's where he, he has this a little bit more stern language in this concluding verse. What do we take away from this? The kingdom of God, verse 20, the kingdom of God is, is, a, is not a matter of just talk, but of power, of action. We can't just talk. There has to be action. A little less talk and a lot more action to quote a country music song that isn't talking about the gospel at all, uh, not even remotely. However, the, the, the sentiment of that is true to us. Less talk among us as Christians and more action. That's how to live as followers of Christ. Living this way might have negative ramifications sometimes, as Paul has alluded to. Yet, what do we choose? We choose to follow Christ. Lord, help us to follow you well today and this weekend that others be pointed to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, friends. We'll see you next week.